tough to argue that the Castile case was a purely racial incident. The cop who shot Castile was Latino, acquitted on a manslaughter charge in part by two black jurors. And I'm sure this is where we get into internalized racism or whatever, fine. But this clearly was not a case of a helpless minority begging for his life before a bloodthirsty white man under the protection of the white supremacist justice system. Pastor, author, and talk show host Talbert Swan asks Bernie, is that why black people get shot? They're not respecting police? Come on, man. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Think of the high-profile cases. Michael Brown certainly wasn't respecting police when he reached for Darren Wilson's gun and started punching him. By the way, take the Obama Justice Department's word for it, not mine. Stefan Clark certainly wasn't respecting police when he was breaking into cars and evading cops throughout the neighborhood, ignoring repeated instructions to surrender. Alton Sterling certainly was not respecting police when he resisted arrest and reached for his revolver after police attempted several non-lethal methods to subdue him. In all of these cases, and many more, following Bernie's advice would have saved lives. I don't see how that's even debatable, especially considering that none of these cops were ever convicted on any type of homicide charge, let alone racially motivated homicide. On December 20th, 2014, Rafael Ramos and Wenjian Liu were killed by Ishmael Brinsley, when they were sitting in the patrol car, Brinsley had walked up to them and shot them both in their heads. Brinsley, who came from Baltimore, was having an argument with his, his girlfriend at the time, Shanika Thompson, and she was trying to stop him from killing himself whenever she took a couple bullets to the stomach. On his way to New York, where he had shot the two officers, Brinsley had spoke of quote, putting wings on pigs, unquote. Stated by a few of Brinsley's friends, stated by Brinsley's friends, there were numerous messages on Instagram where he had spoke of, there were disturbing messages on Instagram from Brinsley just talking about various things where it was either violent or it was just off the wall. And apparently... Brinsley was pretty upset about the, the killings of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. And so it is believed that this was motivation for him to, to find some officers and to, to shoot them or to kill them or get a little bit of payback. So from these two killings or the killings of these two officers, the Blue Lives Matter movement was started. Blue Lives Matter is a counter movement in the United States advocating that those who are prosecuted and convicted of killing law enforcement should be entered under hate crime statutes. So like the media loves to portray black men as being thugs and being um, gangsters and just violent individuals, they go ahead and promote that whenever they're given their reports. doesn't matter what the truth may be behind the story. They just go ahead and paint their narrative, which is what the world loves to see as blacks being violent, being uneducated and dumb. Very little, if any, reports were done talking about the mental health of this individual. Brinsley had mental issues that went untreated and unspoken of, not only by the media and by those who were conducting the investigation of the killings of Officer Ramos and Wenjian Liu. 
My question is to um, my name is Jamel Lawton. I'm from Bamberg, South Carolina. I'm a sports management major. My question is to you: If I was your son, what advice would you give me the next time I pull over by a police officer? What? What? Uh, be a, hold that mic a little bit closer. I'm please. sorry. Uh, what? If I if if I'm your son, what advice would you give me the next time I be pulled over by a police officer? Next time be pulled over, pulled over by a police officer. I would do my best to identify who that police officer is in a polite way, ask him or her for their name. I would respect what they are doing so that you don't get shot in the back of the head. But I would also be very mindful of the fact that as a nation, we have got to hold police officers accountable for the actions that they commit. And that is, so to answer your question, I would be very cautious, if you were my son, in terms of dealing with that police officer, but I also defend my rights and know my rights and make sure, if possible, that police officer's camera is on what goes on. Dimitri Roberts is a nine-year veteran of the Chicago PD. In the years since, he has founded a Chicago-based consulting firm which focuses on criminal justice reform. Dimitri, good to see you. Same here. What are your thoughts on uh, this dash cam video? I know it's hard to watch, but as a former police officer, what do you make of what we see? Well, what you see, obviously, as we've seen um, from the Facebook Live videos, is a very unfortunate situation that unfolded very rapidly. Um, but now what we see from the dash cam video gives us a little more insight into what was going on with this officer emotionally, um, how he reacted to this situation, and really it gives us an opportunity to analyze what could have happened. And now that we're on the other side of a jury trial and understanding that this officer's been acquitted, where we can look to bridge this gap so this doesn't happen again, both to that citizen and where officers can be better trained and we can look at this at a national level and understand that we still have a long way to go in the law enforcement community um, to, to right these situations. Uh, as you know, Dimitri, last week, Officer uh, Geronimo Yanez was acquitted on charges related to the case. Was there anything that you see in the video that appears to you to be a breach of police protocol? Well, uh, let's talk about this on a very human level, and then I'm going to talk about it from a police procedural level. So somebody who is non-aggressive, who is strapped into a seatbelt, and who has children present in a vehicle is not an obvious threat. Um, this officer clearly escalated this situation from the onset, um, from first recognizing Mr. Castillo as a potential robbery suspect. So he was profiled, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but in this case it cost him his life. Um, and when this officer approached the vehicle, he was already at a heightened state of awareness, and he was afraid. 
So when he got into confronting Mr. Castillo on the traffic stop, we can clearly see that this officer placed his hand on his weapon. He escalated the situation and within a minute of that officer doing that, Mr. Castillo was dead. So we have to really ask ourselves the question on a human level is what was going through this officer's mind when he took, took Mr. Castillo's life? On a police procedural level, it's very important to understand that that's not how we are trained to handle anything. I've worked in the toughest law enforcement neighborhoods probably in the country and definitely in Chicago, and I can tell you I've approached dozens of cars, dozens of vehicles with offenders that in some cases did turn out to be armed and none of them lost their lives. So it's unfortunate that this didn't play out in the justice system as most of us had hoped, but I think this is a clear opportunity for us to look at these issues a lot more closely and understand where we can bridge that gap. And it's hard for us to put ourselves in the mindset of that officer, but uh, Mr. Castile did say that he was armed, which is what I'm guessing you as a police officer, as a former police officer, would want to know, information that you would want to know right off the bat if, you, if a perpetrator or somebody that you had pulled over had had a weapon or any kind of dangerous weapon uh, on him in the car. And as you point out, uh, his, his, his child was in the car. Um, so it's just, it's just, for a lot of people, very difficult to understand that mindset that the police officer might have been in. But what do you make of his reaction, the officer's reaction, uh, after he fired those shots? He's out of control. Out of control, emotionally and professionally. He starts swearing. He starts going off. He goes on this process where he's trying to calm himself down. And, and I, I, you know, it's, it's frustrating to me. And that's why you hear me stumbling over my words, because maybe you can't put yourself in the mind of what was going through that officer's uh, head. But I can. I've been in those situations plenty of times. His reaction was completely unprofessional. And it shows where his mindset was. And it wasn't in the right place. We are trained to de-escalate situations. We are trained as officers to look at the totality of the circumstances. And in this case, that officer didn't take that into consideration. He addressed Mr. Castillo as he was a criminal, and he, uh, he, he approached this vehicle as it was already a threat. So shooting an unarmed man that's strapped in a seatbelt who has told you that he has a weapon is no, in, in nobody's mind, especially as a police officer, you can find justification for shooting, um, for shooting anybody. And especially in a situation where you, you see that there's not a clear threat to you or anybody else. So I think it's very unfortunate. And his reaction, I think, shows us that he was not fit to be a police officer and he probably shouldn't have been in that circumstance in the first place. Dimitri Roberts, as always, we thank you for your analysis. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, we're also following Tuesday's police shooting in Louisiana. New cell phone video shows two Baton Rouge police officers and Alton Sterling fighting before the 37-year-old is shot and killed. We want to warn you, some people are going to find this video graphic. This happened outside of the store Tuesday. Sterling was well known to the area and was selling CDs when police responded to a call about a man with a gun. Now, hundreds of people have protested and held a vigil outside the store where Sterling died. Family members in the community are demanding answers while the Justice Department investigates. David Begno is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. David. 
Let me set the scene for you here outside the convenience store where the shooting happened. These candles on the ground here in honor have marked the spot where Alton Sterling died 48 hours ago. Also, someone painted this mural of his face on the building. This is about the spot where he would stand for years and sell CDs. He had permission to be here. He wasn't loitering or trying to solicit from people. The owner of the store said, sure, as long as you don't cause trouble, you can sell CDs here. I want to bring in the owner, Abdullah Muflafi. Mr. Muflahi, thank you for thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I want to run through what happened when the shooting happened. You're inside. It's probably what 11:55 at night. So it was somewhere around that time, close to midnight, somewhere okay. about midnight. So you hear what that initially leads you to come outside? Um, I seen that two police uh, officers were pulling up. Two cars pulled up to the parking lot. Um, that's when I started walking uh, around, trying to get outside to see why they were out here, what's going on. All right, so when you come out, there is a car parked right here. Three cars, Three cars this way across, yes. right? Yes, okay. Three cars. So what do you first see when you initially walk out? Uh, when I first walk out, I seen, um, well, I seen the police officers with, um, grabbing Alton and tossing him on the car that was in so you take out your cell phone and you start recording. I didn't start recording until they had, uh, until I seen them run, run and tackle them uh, onto the other vehicle that was over here, and then drop to the floor. Okay, so when you grabbed your cell phone, I would say you were probably what five feet from what was happening. Somewhere around there, three to four feet. Um, really close. Yes, and it's right I here. Was at the, I was right next to the door, outside the door over here, and okay. this is where it happened right there. Like, so as, at, would you describe Alton as struggling with the officers? He just wanted to know what was going on. He what did wasn't he really, say? Before they tackled him and tasered him, he was asking, what did I do wrong? What, what's going on? What did I do wrong? And the officers, were they, how would you describe their tone and their behavior? They were very aggressive. Very aggressive with them from the time they pulled up. Did you ever see Alton with a gun in his hand? Not at all. Okay. So they're on the ground, and there's that moment in the video where an officer yells, he's got a gun. Is that what you heard? Yes. Okay. So at that moment, you're obviously recording, and we're playing the video now, yes. but he's got the gun at point-blank range right in front of his chest, yes. right? When the shots are fired, did you see Alton in any way trying to reach into his pocket to grab anything? No. His hand, his hand wasn't a police officer. Like he was, he was pinned down by the cops. I don't think there was any way that he could have reached for it. Did you see the officer pull a weapon from Alton's pocket? Yes, after and they shot him. That happened after the shooting, yes. right? Okay, so the shooting happens, and then the video shows an officer walk up. He reaches into his right pocket, and he pulls out a shiny object. Yes. It's hard for us to tell what it is, but you're saying that it is a gun? It is a gun. Okay, you saw that it was a yeah. gun. Yes. Okay, all right. So yeah. after that, what what happened? What, did, what was the behavior of the officers right after the shooting? Oh, they were... They were kind of, uh, I'd say angry, but they like they came out kind of angry in the beginning. All right, how would, and, and, and I want to kind of end with this question. Everybody's got blame to go around. Somebody's going to blame this. Somebody's going to let it. Who do you blame in this situation? But those officers could have used a whole different um, way of approaching him, and this wouldn't all never ended up the way it did. So you think the approach was misguided? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you for taking the time. I
appreciate you talking Thank to you us. So, uh, you know, when you when you walk through the story with the store owner and you hear it as such, remember this was a 911 call. That's how it all started. A call went in the 911 of a man at the convenience store with a gun. So they responded. What we haven't been able to see is exactly what the initial interaction was. What did the officers say to Alton Sterling when they arrived on scene? Did they know that he was the person that the 911 caller was talking about? How did they encounter him? We're thinking, we're, we're thinking because of what our sources are telling us, that the body cameras are going to be crucial. But here's what you should know about that. Apparently, the body cameras, which were affixed to the uniforms of the officers, actually fell off. In fact, there's one point in the video where you see the officer reach down to pick up the body camera as it's fallen off. Law enforcement sources have told us, even though the body cameras did not capture the shooting directly, the audio is crucial and it is critical to the case. So what they're hoping is that they're going to take these cameras right here, the footage from these cameras, and also the cell phone videos that we've already shown you, and marry that with the audio from the body cameras to build a case. David Begno in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. David, you might have heard Anne-Marie and I talking during your debrief with the store owner. We I weren't did. sure. <laughs> we weren't sure. The question yep. we, we had amongst each other was, in both videos, do you hear those police officers saying he's got a gun? Or at least someone said in, it in the first video. In both videos, you hear a male voice yell, he's got a gun. Is it definitely one of the officers? According to the store owner, it was. But all we can say is that it's clear it is a male voice. It's coming from that area, and the store owner, who was an eyewitness, I mean, I'm telling you, he was five feet from the shooting. He claims that it was one of the officers. And if you watch the video, he yells, somebody else, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. And then seven seconds later, the first three shots are fired. And the coroner says Mr. Sterling was shot not only in the chest, but also in the back. All right, David Begner reporting for us in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. David, thank you very much. You know, kind of like telepathy to find the answers. If you can't ask questions, then millions of people should have been killed as well. That's not the case. And mostly blacks are killed. So this cop apologist just admitted that blacks get shot because they are in the names that this individual mentioned, right? Brown, Castillo, Stephen Clark, Alter Sterling. He didn't define what was disrespectful. Was it disrespectful to lawfully own a gun in Castillo's case? Is it disrespectful for Alton Sterling to ask why he was being arrested? Or should he have just used his telepathy and, you know, get the answer that way? If you can't ask questions when you are dealing with the police, then these two individuals shouldn't have been the only ones to die. There should have been millions of people Millions of people who should have died because there are millions of people who are pulled over every year and are confronted by law enforcement and questions are asked within those stops, whether it's a traffic stop, whether it's in a building, whether it's on the street, questions are asked. So once again, what was disrespectful? 
Alton Sterling was killed in front of a, a store, right? He was killed in front of this man's store named Mulfi. And this individual who owned the store, he had filmed, this individual had filmed the assassination of Alton. And he said that it looked like there was a gun that was removed from his right pocket. In Louisiana, you can conceal carry and just having a gun doesn't warrant execution of, of the public. Look, let's not get it twisted. The officers have a right to pat his pockets. They can't go in his pockets via Terry versus Ohio, but they can conduct what is called a Terry stop and pat the outside of his pockets. And that's enough that the courts have deemed for police officers to tell whether or not the individual that they stop and have a weapon. So after the call was made, right, Louisiana is supposed to be this gun loving state and the only requirement to buy a gun is that you need to have a valid driver's license and then you need to be 21 years old to buy a handgun or a shotgun, 18 years old for rifles. There is no gun permit required. But if you want to conceal carry, you have to take a test, just a basic test. Also, you can't have any felonies, any convictions, alcohol or drug abuse, or even mental illness. So Alton was in his right to be able to, to carry this gun. He didn't brandish his weapon to the officers. Um, they weren't even talking to him long enough to even do a pat down. You see the video. And if you haven't, then you need to go check it out. They began talking to him, tell him that he's arrested. And they don't necessarily tell him why. Why they had showed up in the first place and they're pulling on him, they're tugging on him. You know, he's trying to figure out what's going on which is his God-given right. After all, his taxes go to people like law enforcement. And until you break the law, then they're underneath you. But once you break the law, is where law takes over. You know, we have rights. And we need to get ahead and flex those rights. And it doesn't matter if other people like it or not. It's your right. That's why they're called rights. So Alton didn't deserve to die just because two incompetent officers wanted to, to come up to him and wrestle him to the ground and tase him before they even checked his pockets, before they even gave him a, 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 a Terry Frisk. They should have gave him a Terry Frisk. They should have told him why they were there. And if they knew that he had a gun, which that was the call, was that this individual had had a gun. Why were they freaked out whenever they saw it either in his pocket um, or it fell out of his pocket? He didn't pull out. He didn't pull out the gun. 
There was no reports of him pulling out the gun except for the lying pigs. But if you watch the video, you can clearly see that there's two guys on top of Sterling controlling him. And there was no way in the world that he would have been able to kill those two officers, even if he did pull out his gun. Which he didn't. So that man didn't deserve to die. This is another case, right? Man accused of disrespectful, being disrespectful to the police. So again, my question is, when was Castile disrespectful? And when is it against the law to be disrespectful? When should street justice kick in and you be killed for being so-called, quote, unquote, disrespectful to a law enforcement officer? Is that a felony? Is it a misdemeanor? What is it? So I'm going to play devil's advocate, right? And say that it's against the law. That being said, does it warrant a citizen to be executed? Is it. Does it warrant an individual to be gunned down like a like a dog, like a thing, something that doesn't even matter? And if the answer to this question for you is yes, then you are a soulless individual and you need to get the hell off of my my channel because this podcast is not for you. So if you are sadistic and insidious enough to answer this question by saying yes, then you need to hit the streets. Talk to your your legislators, go talk to your governor, go talk to your senator, petition in the streets. Let's go ahead and and Let's go ahead and do this thing. And every time someone opens their mouth during a traffic stop, let's allow cops to pull over anyone they want. Your little babies, your wife, your mom, your girlfriend, your sister, your favorite teacher, all of them. When they get pulled over by the cops and they open, as soon as they open their lips, right? Quote, unquote disrespectful let's go ahead and give the cops on law enforcement the ability to go ahead and just put you out of your misery of course i'm being sarcastic but you got to understand that this claim of being disrespectful is absolutely asinine it makes no sense for somebody to be quote disrespectful and to lose their life for it. That is such a vague term to begin with. Is objective. Anybody can say that something is disrespectful. And what are we supposed to just fly with it? So getting back to Castile. He's pulled over for a brake light. The police officer asked, you know, the usual questions. And this officer Yanez uh, is given an, an item and he puts it in his pocket, right? And while Castillo is looking for the other item because he asked him for 
his ID and he asked him for insurance. I don't know which one he put in his pocket, but apparently it wasn't all the information because Philando Castillo was still looking for the information that was asked of him. And so as he was digging around, he had mentioned to the officer that he had a weapon in the car. And the officer tells him, you know, not to reach for it as he begins to put his hand on, on the gun. The officer telling Philando Castillo not to reach for it. Philando and his girlfriend both told the officer that he wasn't reaching for the weapon. So this particular officer, Yanez, pretty much had his head in the window. He had a great view of what was going on with Philando Castillo. And there was another officer towards the rear of the passenger side of the vehicle who should have been positioned where he could see what was going on in that passenger side as well. But this particular officer didn't fire. It was the one that was closest to Castillo, right? And Castillo takes um, several bullets to the abdomen. Um, Castillo didn't brandish his weapon. So what exactly did he do wrong? You know, people talk out of their backsides all the time, you know, spewing filth and stench, things that don't even make any sense. They just talk off the top of their head without really giving thought to the things that they about to say before they say it. Just clearly going off their emotions. There wasn't uh, there wasn't an outcome in the situation where uh, this black man's life wouldn't have been taken. You know, so you got to think about it. Um, what was he supposed to do in that situation? He was asked for license and registration. He only gave the cop part of the information. What are you supposed to do? Just sit there? I mean, like I said, the cop was positioned to where he was right in front of, or excuse me, to the side of Philando Castile. His head was in the vehicle pretty much. He had a great view of what was going on. But if you go back and you listen to the sound bites, or if you just go and watch the video, you could tell how jacked up this guy was and how he was how he was panicking after he had shot Philando. Hell, he was going crazy right as he was talking to Philando about him having a weapon. Hell, he damn near was about to draw his gun as he was walking up to the vehicle, all because dude had a couple lights out. Anyway, so this particular jury had um this particular jury had eight men, uh, four women. One person was black. Excuse me, the jury composed of eight men and four women. One man was black. And one woman was black. So we talk about having a jury of our peers. How is that having a jury of our peers? And if this is particularly going off of the percentage of blacks 
in this particular town or wherever the, the crime was taking place, then black folks are going to lose every time because we are a minority, if you haven't learned that by now. So the fact that there was 12 people on this jury and only two of them were black, you already knew from the beginning that this cat was going to get away. So Philando dies and the cop gets off as if he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't endanger the welfare of a minor who was sitting in the back seat. He didn't endanger his fiance who was sitting in the passenger seat as he stuck his hand. Uh, Officer Yanez stuck his hand inside the window of Castile and put seven bullets in him at close range. I mean, the guy was guilty of nothing, right? He didn't do anything wrong. How did he not do anything wrong when Castillo never threatened him? He never pulled his gun out, pointed it towards the officer in a threatening manner, whatever the hell that means as well. I mean, you can pose and do really aggressive stuff, but you have no intent on doing the thing in, in which you are accused of doing. You know, I can stand in the bladed stance because it's comfortable and because. Um, but, you know, whenever you stand in the bladed stance, they, they say that it's uh, a position in which you're going to go ahead and, and attack this individual. Well, if you know anything about fighting, you don't necessarily have to stand in a bladed stance in order to attack an individual. So that right there is just a load of bull. It's just excuses. It's cops explaining. It's something to distract you. It's something to, to gather your emotions and for you to, to wig out or to bug out off of facts that don't even, don't even matter. Like, for instance, whenever you hear about a, a case and they go, oh, well, you know, he had a, a mole on the right side of his forehead and his kids was running around in a house of diapers. And oh, by the way, he had a goat tied up to a tree in the, in the backyard. What the hell does that have to do with the case? I don't care about his goats. I don't care about his kids running around with stinky pampers. What does that have to do with this case? They do anything and say anything to get you distracted. Don't be weak minded. You know, I noticed one thing about this country and that we are taught from the very beginning that you never supposed to talk back to authority. You shouldn't ask questions. And if you don't believe me, go back to your childhood. Go back to the classroom. Hell, you go back to your house and where you grew up in, in your house with your, your brother and your sister, whoever. Right. Whenever you start asking one too many questions, people get pissed off and agitated, don't they? You taught from the beginning that asking questions is bad. But how is asking questions bad whenever you need information in order to, to make an informed decision on anything that you do in life? You just don't go assume that um, if you walk off a roof that you're not going to die. 
so you have to ask questions. It's like the old Jedi mind trick. I was scared because y'all see Mr. T, he don't look like, you know, like he can't fight. He looks like he can whip some ass, right? And I was petrified. I was walking party and people said, yo, man, Mr. T was just here looking for you. He was walking up to people saying, I'm gonna whip it over the head when I see him. Then I watched the show, because I, I didn't know him. I watched the show to see what kind of guy he was, and the character on the show ain't too bright. So I figured if he came up to me, I could use the Jedi mind trick on him. <laughs> Mr. T walk up and go, I heard you did some jokes about me. No, you didn't. Maybe I didn't. <laughs>